The New Testament Book of Romans is a masterpiece of the Christian faith. Written to the new believers in first century Rome, it continues to speak to believers today. More than that, it is God's revealed truth to the world of His love for mankind and His plan to bring spiritual renewal to the world. It's heady stuff, this letter. Peace with God through faith. Struggling in the tension of doing things my way or God's way. The faithfulness of God and His incredible love for every one of us. God's love can be overwhelming. This learning to live in the freedom of God's grace. That's why we have titled this eight-week series, Drinking from Fire Hydrants, Renewed by Overwhelming Grace. Listen as Pastor Ron shares from the inspired words of the great teacher Paul from Romans, chapters 5 through 8, on God's overwhelming grace. Morning, church family. It's um, an honor and delight to be with you. If you haven't been with us for a season, we want to welcome you warmly and say how um, privileged we are that you would come here to Bridges. And I hope that you find this a place that would be nurturing and encouraging and uh, challenging to your heart, to your soul, to your life, that you might experience what life in Christ is like. And that's my, my passion, the passion of our church, that you would experience freedom in the Lord and healing and wholeness, and you would be able to live for him. We get the chance to be in Romans chapter 7 today and to think about what God would say to us in this really fantastic portion. It really leads into what's going to happen next Sunday. We're going to talk about the first part of Romans chapter 8 next Sunday, and it's really going to be great. And I want to invite you to take that opportunity that many of you will have this week with neighbors and people at work and at school and friends and invite them here. We've got some really great things happening this weekend and on this coming weekend, and a lot of great spiritual conversations I know will come about because you've been praying, many of you have, but I'm just asking you to be forward-thinking and invite people for this coming weekend at Easter. So Romans chapter 7, if you have it on your phone or iPad or you brought your own Bible, if you didn't, we have Bibles provided for you right around you, and I think it's on page 943, Romans chapter 7. This morning, we're going to do something a little bit unique. I know for many of you who have been walking with Jesus and experiencing life in him and seeking to grow in him, you have a discipline in your life that you call a quiet time where you spend time reading scripture. That's a really great discipline. I want to affirm it because that's how God challenges us, speaks to us most strongly, not through what happens necessarily on a Sunday morning or whenever, but as you spend time listening to the Lord talk to you, This morning, I'm going to give everybody an opportunity to have a quiet time. And I'm going to ask you to open your Bible and just in your own privacy, read through Romans chapter 7. As you do, I want you just to be asking that the Lord would speak strongly to you. And how do you put this into your life's practice for this week? So open your Bible up to Romans chapter 7. We'll we'll talk about some of the major themes and, and that stuff and its call to our lives But this morning, I'm just going to ask you to take some personal reading time. So if you've got a device and you're going to read it off of, don't slip into a game or something else. (laughs) Go right to the Word and just invite God to speak to you. Okay? Romans chapter 7. 
I'll give you a few minutes to do that. If you're a slow reader, don't sweat it. Just get as far as you can. And um, before you do, let me pray. Father, I love that you are a God who speaks. I love that you've given us your word. And I pray now, Father, that um, where there could be points of confusion, you would clarify that for people, that you would expose your word and the power of it to us as we read through it. And as we consider it, I pray you challenge us to live for you. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Go for it. Would you read Romans chapter 7, the whole chapter, and we'll give you a few minutes to do it. There are portions of God's word that are arresting. Um, and Romans 7 is one of those for me. And the reason why it's arresting some of you might have thought, oh, I love this portion. Some of you might have thought, I'm totally confused. What's he talking about? Um, it's because Paul gets transparent. Um, if you've made it all the way through the second half of Romans chapter 7, where he kind of opens the door and says how he is wrestling with this battle, this war that he's in, um, I, there's a refreshing part of that to our spirits, isn't there? Because as Paul is writing this really personal letter and deeply, profoundly theological letter to the believers in Rome, he opens the door to the inner spiritual workings of his life. That there's a great part of him that loves the pursuit and the joy there is to be found in this new way of living. Not a way that's bound by the old way by trying to measure up but a new way of following Jesus by the Spirit. And um, he loves that, but he still wrestles with sin. He still struggles with that. And this, this portion of Scripture, because of that, um, because of my own personal discouragement and struggle with it, and the personal nature of that wrestling, I, I love. And because I have felt the futility of trying to measure up to perfection and the expectation of the law, the expectation of full holiness. I, I love it that, that Paul's in the middle of this wrestling too. And I, I love it. There's a sense of the joy of the freedom that we have in Christ and the reality of my present situation, what God is still doing in my life, and there's no reason to, to give up to it, to the, the frustration or discouragement or disappointments that I might have had that that God will continue to be at work in and through me. I love that. This, this passage has some central audiences that Paul is writing to. Uh, the first one is to a group of people who have been trying to do the right things to gain the approval of others and of God. They had been the law keepers, the people pursuing the Old Testament law. But that speaks to a lot of people, not just those who here might have a Jewish background, but for many of us in our cultural backgrounds or our family of origin backgrounds, we have been wired to try to seek the approval of others by doing the right, by doing good things, trying to measure up, whether that's through your pursuit of good karma or the pursuit of trying to measure up to your ancestors or fate or trying to measure up just through academic excellence or whatever it might be, you've felt the weight of that and especially the frustration of imperfection. Because God's word is very clear to you and to me this morning 
And that is that we all fall short. Every one of us, no matter how you've been pretending and uh, other people around you or your family, we all fall short. And wives, isn't that true of your husbands? They fall short. Yeah, it's true. And, and men, I know for some of you, you have perfect wives, but every wife, every child, every parent falls short of the glory of God, of the perfection that God has. And as Paul has been writing this letter, he's been sounding out this theme to us that every one of us, though each of us falls short of God's perfection and his measure, God did something about it. He didn't leave us there in frustration and disappointment and failure, that he sent his own son as a demonstration of his love and grace for you, Jesus. It's what we're celebrating this week. His death, it wasn't pointless, it was purposeful to take on your punishment, your guilt, and your shame on himself, to sacrifice for you that you might have relationship with him and freedom from that. And then he was buried, and we celebrate next Sunday, which I'm really looking forward to, the celebration of his resurrection, his power over death, my own death, my own junk, and his giving new life, breathing new life into us. So Paul is writing to people who've been trying to measure up and falling short. And he's also been writing to people who felt like, you know what, I've tried it so often, even as a follower of Jesus, and I sin. So who cares? I'm giving up. I'm just going to go ahead and sin. What's the point anyway, right? I mean, I blew it last week, and I'm going to blow it next week, so I'm going to keep on sinning. He's writing to those people to help them understand the purpose of it, and the purpose of those people who say the law doesn't have any meaning anymore. And he's writing to people who on a daily basis really hunger to do the right and yet struggle with their sin nature, struggle to do and fall short and sin. That would be everybody here in the room, right? So that's the audience. And he picks it up first by a metaphor, which might, you might have missed. The metaphor is of a person who was married and lost their spouse. Their spouse died and now lives in a different kind of relationship. They didn't go into a relationship once they were married. They didn't commit adultery, but now they're in a new relationship. And the metaphor really is targeting people to help them understand that once they lived according to the law, which had great purpose, it was good and healthy, but it always made them feel like they fell short because they did. That was the purpose of the law to help us understand the power of sin in our life and, and to point us to an answer, not in and of ourselves, but an answer in Jesus Christ. So the law had this great, in fact, he calls it a holy and righteous and good purpose. It had that purpose to lead us somewhere else, to lead us to pursue the Lord Jesus Christ. So it had this great powerful thing. But what is our current relationship to the law for those of us, all of us? And Paul says that we are no longer bound by the law or condemned by it. We're no longer bound by it or condemned by it. And as he's been writing 
in the book of Romans. If you've missed our study to get to this point, first he's described in vivid detail how we all blow it and fall short and God has perfect standards and we don't measure up to that, but that Jesus in his perfection will bless us with not condemnation, but with freedom in him. I was in a discussion um, at lunch several days ago with a group of people, and one of them was a college student who was not a believer in Jesus, and he was describing these people that came on his campus and started preaching at them, and um, preaching really a message of condemnation, like, you're all going to hell, you know, and proclaiming that. No grace in that message, just condemnation. I don't know how you feel about that when you actually witness people who are doing that stuff. It makes me um, not just uncomfortable, but ticked off. Because they don't really understand the message of the gospel. We're going to get to this next week. In fact, this is the major point. I'm just going to give it up next week so you, you know. Don't like miss next Sunday. But here's the major point. That there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Yeah, no condemnation. There is the condemnation of sin that that brings the weight of that that condemns me. And Jesus speaks into my life and says, there is no condemnation. I did not send Jesus into the world to condemn the world, but so that the world might be saved. That's the message of John chapter 3. Praise God for that. That's such fantastic news. So what is it? about the law and its role. Paul says we're no longer condemned by it, though it does clarify sin. I don't have the past relationship I once had with it, married to it. Now I have a different kind of relationship, and that relationship actually moves me to live for another. Who do you live for? I know, in church, we're all in church, you're going to say, oh, Jesus, right? Who do you live for? And that's what he's writing out. I've got a different relationship, Paul says. I'm bound to live for another. I'm bound to live for Christ. I have a different kind of relationship. I'm called to a different place and to produce fruit. I have a purpose in my life now to produce fruit. So we, are now, we now belong to Jesus and not the law. And we follow him, not a written code, That's what the first part of Romans chapter 7 is telling us. We now have a different relationship. You can't have a relationship with written code. But you can have a relationship with the living Lord Jesus. And that's what's so distinctive about people who are really authentic Christians. It is about a relationship that we have that's living and breathing and transformational and moves us to change. So, Paul anticipates the next question that you might have. How is it that Paul can affirm the role of the law in one breath, saying that it's holy and righteous and good, and say that it enslaved him and led to death in the next, very next breath? Well, he says, the law is holy. It's perfection. And it's righteous. It leads you toward righteousness. It helps clarify that you are not righteous. When Paul reads the the law, when you read the law, you discover you are not righteous and you hunger for righteousness. And that righteousness can be found for Bruce only in one place. As God gives it to him, right? As God blesses him with it as a gift of love and grace in his life and gives him righteousness freely. 
So, my relationship to the law is that the law led me, it clarified my sin, and led me to the need for Jesus. But right now, I'm free of it. And I, I'm free to live to God in a relationship with him. Now, that's the first part in a very quick, very quick summation of Romans chapter 7, the first part of it. But the second part of it is what really is precious to me. I mean, the first part's really precious. I don't, <laughs> don't misunderstand me, but the second part, when Paul gets vulnerable, that's like gold for me. Do you see the line where he says, why do I still do the things that I hate? Do you know that you're um, sitting next to this morning a bunch of combat veterans? It's true. Some of you have served faithfully and seen the horrors of combat. Every one of us, Paul says, is in a battle. And it's actually a more significant battle. It's a more eternal battle. It's a more personal battle than what you would face as a soldier in the heat of the horrors of what might happen in a foreign land. It's a battle for your soul. And on one side, God the Father speaks victory and hope. On the other side, Satan himself speaks condemnation and destruction. And right now, in the middle of you trying to live for Jesus, for those of you who have followed him, it is a struggle. And Paul opens the door to that, and I love that he does. So why do you do the things you hate? Why do you do that? If you're a follower of Jesus, you've been set free now, given a new spirit. Why would you return to the old? There are two really extreme views on either side of the pendulum how people have responded to Paul's dialogue here. And the first part, the first extreme view would be that, you know, one day actually I can be perfect. One day, if I work hard enough and do enough quiet times and enough devotionals, if I, if I give myself away enough times, there's a time where I can get to a place where I am going to be like Zach, perfect in every way. Right? No, Zach's not quite perfect, is he? I know you love your husband, but he's not, right? The truth of scripture is that even if we are spiritually mature, even today we're going to be wrestling, we're going to be in the thick of the battle. Know it. Understand what this battle is about. Know the personal agony of the battle too. So you're never going to be perfect. Do you know why I know that? The empirical evidence. Nobody in this room pulled it off this week. Right? Really? Did anybody here do that? Owen, did you do it? No, he wasn't perfect. Not in what he thought or what he did or didn't do. All of us this week struggled in that battle. So we know it from the empirical evidence and we know it from the biblical evidence because Romans 7 says it and Galatians 3 says it. We still struggle with this tension that for those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus, we have been made new, but we are still in the battle with our sinful nature and with our desire to be right and holy and pure. And that battle is hard. And there's another side of that pendulum. So I'm not going to be perfect until I get to the presence of Jesus who will make me fully perfect. The other side is, 
Why not just do whatever and sin? Because God forgives, right? He's full of grace. Now, Paul has actually already addressed this once in Romans chapter 6. Should I go on sinning, he says, so that grace may increase? And the answer is, no, may it never be. But he returns to that argument in part in Romans chapter 7. Why? Because so many of us are weasels. Right? So many of us can be discouraged and defeated about an habitual sin in our life. We keep struggling with our sexual purity. We keep wrestling and, and, and fighting this addiction we might have to a substance. We, we wrestle with what comes out of our lips in the middle of traffic. You do. We fight this battle to be God's people, to be righteous and struggle with it. And that's why I love Paul's transparency here. We do the things we hate. That actually makes an assumption that you hate those things. The people on this end of the pendulum that have given up, they're like embracing it, like whatever. I, and I have a question for those people, if you embrace sin, whether you really truly know what it's like to be righteous, whether you really have taken joy in that and understood what a relationship with Jesus is about. Because a relationship with Jesus calls you to be holy. God says in his word, be holy because I am holy. How do I know the, the who cares thing is wrong? Because first, God calls me to be holy, to be righteous, and that in righteousness, it's good. I step away from the destruction, wreaking havoc, that sin does for me. And that's the second reason. If I give up and don't fight the battle for righteousness, sin will continue to wreak damage in my life. It will hurt my relationships with my, with my spouse, with my kids, with my parents, with my friends, people at work, people at school. Sin does that. It wreaks damage. So I, I can't just give up and I will miss the joy of victory over sin. Did you know that actually there is joy and victory over sin? There's some of you here gathered this morning that have wrestled with habitual sin in your life for a long time. And then you've experienced the power of God step into your life and free you from that. That's sweet. Right, you know. Nothing like that, knowing that God can have the power to do that in our lives. Some of you haven't experienced that. You're still feeling like, man, there's just, why even fight the battle? Because it's, it's worthless. It's not. Did God have the power to rise from the dead? Does God have the power to defeat and conquer sin? Men and women, this is what the resurrection is about about the power that the Lord God has to conquer sin in your life, to conquer sin in my life. So neither one of those crazy extremes is true. So what's really a healthy way to see my freedom in Jesus and my present battle with sin? First thing is that we need to understand our conflicting desires. And that's why I love why, that Paul opens the door here to say there is a battle going on between two powerful forces within me right now as I, as I speak and write this letter. I'm doing the thing that I hate. 
and I actually do hate sin. I hate it. But I fall into this, this pattern of obeying my sinful nature. And we need to own our failings. Not to accept them, not to say, okay, it's all right, but to own it, to understand the battle and my own sinfulness and my patterns of sinfulness, to identify them clearly and to not be satisfied with walking what was in the past, my old nature, but to live for the new, to seek out God's purifying call in my life to help me be righteous. And we need to understand where our deliverance comes from. Look at the text again. Paul says, picking up in verse 18, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Sound familiar? Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God, in my inner being. I really know it's true and right and healthy for me. But I see in my another law, waging war against the law in my mind and making me captive to the law that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am. Period. That's the end of the chapter. No, if it was, it'd be horrible. If there was no else like beyond that statement, we'd be hosed. But there's more in Romans 7, and there's even better news in Romans 8. Wretched man that I am in this struggle, it is hard. But yet, there is hope. Yet, I will not give up. Because there is victory Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord, he says. There's hope for me. There's rescue for me. There's deliverance in God. And how does Jesus give us victory? Because you might be still sitting there thinking, I have never experienced that. Really, truly, if I was honest, I've never experienced freedom from sin. How is it that he gives me victory? First, when I turn to him honestly before God, And just get transparent with him and seek him. Scripture tells me that he, before God the Father, because of what Jesus has done on the cross, frees me from my sin and my shame and my guilt. Listen to the words that Paul wrote to Romans just a few chapters before in Romans chapter 3, where he says this starting in verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested or made known apart from the law. Though the law and the prophets bear witness to it, they pointed to my need for this and they bore witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There is no distinction for all. Every one of us has sinned and falls short of the glory of God and are justified. That is made right and pure and holy without sin or guilt before God. How? By his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Get it? If you you came this morning and you've been wrestling all your life with the effects of sin 
and struggle with it. Listen, God wants to free you right now. Free gift. Don't leave church without it. Here's the gift. If you turn in faith, place your faith in what Jesus did on the cross and rising from the dead for you, you can have freedom and know it for sure. So before we go any farther in this message, I want to give you just a little private place. You close your eyes or put your head down. And if that describes you, if you have never chosen life in Christ as a gift, right now would you just be honest with him and say, God, I, I want to be free from my sin, my shame, and my guilt. Please give me your forgiveness I want to be yours. Just as simple as that, God will bless you with life in him if you trust him and believe in his name. Just speak it out to him honestly in your own words. If you're a believer, this is the time to just jump in and say, oh God, once more I need forgiveness and healing and wholeness in you. I need your righteousness. Amen. Now, if you gave your life to the Lord for the first time, don't leave without telling somebody either me or the friend who brought you, that's even better, so they can encourage you and strengthen you in your new faith. Now, he also gives us power to run. Because scripture says, when you're in temptation, don't just sit there, flee. Hightail it out of there. Some of you might be thinking, I'm too old to run. No, you're not. All of us can run from temptation. Some of you might be thinking, I don't really want to run. I like temptation. I like sin. In your heart, you need to examine yourself. Are you really truly a child of God? Because God changes your heart and turns you away from that. Or are you a person who is so backslidden, you've stepped away from the holiness and righteousness of God's gift to you, you've now embraced a life of sin more than you want to embrace a life of righteousness. And you you need to get that right. Can I say honestly to you, don't sit there in that. Pursue what's right and healthy and whole for you and run from temptation. And we know that he gives deliverance because he offers real forgiveness and second chances to us. Finally, never quit. I love that Paul does not say, man, wretched man that I am, I give up. Forget it. This thing is a waste. That would be kind of shocking to read in scripture, wouldn't it? He doesn't, actually, because he knows the power of what's happening in Romans chapter 8. He knows the power of the resurrection in his life unleashed to free him from whatever that sin might be and to help him live for God wholly as a man who loves him. Now, the question is, how do you really do that? Really, in real life this week, How do you live as a righteous woman, as a righteous man? How do you pursue that? 
I need some help. Um, so uh, if I can have, can I have you come up, man? And um, Rob Shabata, can you come up here just briefly here and lead you? I'm going to point you out. Come on up. I know you've got to walk over people, but whatever. Okay. Um, come on up if you guys help me to illustrate this. Thanks, Rick. Appreciate Pleasure. it. Pleasure. Yeah. So um, we have this fence, and I need you to help me unravel it. They put it back together, so can you do that? Okay. You guys take that, and Rick's going to unleash it. You guys roll it out over here, and I'm going to need you to... Thanks. Outstanding. Can you give Rick a hand? He's doing such a fine job. <laughs> if um, you are a person who's actually chosen the grace of God, and um, you've heard from God's word that he's calling you to a different kind of life, not to live in condemnation, but in freedom, to live as a person who actually pursues righteousness, and yet you feel like you're in the thick of the battle, like Paul was, that you really hate the stuff of falling back, and, and you really want to pursue righteousness, then let me just say, you need to make some fences in your life. Um, now, if I was in the middle of a battle, it'd be pretty foolish to kind of hide behind this fence, right? That would, it's not going to help me a whole lot. But fences in my life are essential that I don't step into temptation. And I can't do this, the creating of fences by myself. I can't do that. I need other people in my life. That's why God created the body of Christ who can hold the fence for me. And I chose these guys because I love them. These guys are brothers of mine who I respect and who need to speak into my life on occasion. Right? So when I'm struggling and in the thick of the battle, I need guys to hold the fence for me that, that I would not step into temptation but would come alongside and say, Ron, man, you need to watch this area of your life. You need a fence in your life on this. And they would come into my life and I would come into their life and they would, they would hold the fence. Here's the challenge, a point of application from the text. If you hunger not to be defeated by your sin, if you know that living by the Spirit of God is way better than trying to measure up in a place where you'll never measure up, and you really honestly want to be a righteous woman, a righteous man, you've got to have people hold the fence in your life. Do not leave today before you ask somebody, would you help hold the fence in my life in this area that I'm struggling with? I'm struggling with what I'm watching. I'm struggling with how I view my sexuality because what I've got on my devices. So do I just have free access to any device? No. I have friends that come alongside and say, this is an area you've got to really watch in your life. I'm going to hold you accountable. I'm going to ask questions for you. I'm struggling with gossip in my life, just saying stuff that degrades other people because I'm really feeling crappy about myself and I keep spewing out on that other people. I need other people to hold the fence in my life. So I will not go down that temptation, the struggle. Who is it that's currently doing this for you? You need people. Don't leave until you get somebody. So two challenges 
First, embrace righteousness. It's a gift. You're not going to earn it by yourself. That's only defeat and struggle. Choose Christ and this new way of living. Second, you are in a battle if you're following Jesus, and it's hard, and you need people around you. You need to be transparent, not stop trying to fake it and act like you're some kind of righteous person. Paul didn't even do that. Get people who will stand with you in the battle. Let me pray for you, if I might. Father, thank you for this church, for this place where we can be honest with you. Thank you for your righteousness. That's a gift. It's not us, but it's a gift from you. And thank you, Father, there are people around us who can hold a fence, who can make those right boundaries for us. And I pray you'd give us the courage to step forward and grab those people in our lives so that we would live for you and enjoy really the thrill of victory over sin and not live in it. We pray these things in the power of our risen Savior, Jesus Christ, who frees us from sin. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Bridges Community Church Sermon Podcast. Bridges Community Church is located in the San Francisco Bay Area in Fremont, California. For more information on Bridges Community Church, please check out our website at www.bridgescc.org.